All right, here's what we're doing today. We're going to continue on in our series called Kingdom Come. We are looking at how we are to be a people shaped by the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I learned it when I was a kid. I learned it like the old-fashioned way. It went something like this. Uh, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on. On earth as it is in heaven, thy will be done. Right now, here in the present, on earth, just as it is in heaven. And today what we're going to take a look at is how we as a people are shaped by that principle and by that prayer. So if we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, what, it, what does it mean for those of us that follow after Jesus? What does it look like in our lives to live as if God's kingdom has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but it has not come completely and entirely in its fullness? And so we wait for that day, but we're still living in light of the truth. For those of you that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here today because today is one of the, uh, this happens actually more frequently than not, uh, it's one of the those days where um, uh, the church gets real mad at me for the topic of the sermon. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, I hope that you get to eavesdrop on us as we talk about how the kingdom of God impacts how we engage with politics. Now, uh, before we do that, I remind you that uh, Easter is coming up soon. And uh, we as a church family, we're going to celebrate at 8, 9, 30, and 11 on Easter Sunday. And uh, we're doing baptisms on Easter. So if you are interested in taking your next step with Jesus, uh, if that next step is being baptized, we would love to talk with you about what it means to be baptized. We'll baptize you anytime, but uh, Easter Sunday would be a cool time to get baptized. So if you want to get baptized on Easter or any day, use that next steps card that's in the back of the seat in front of you, and we'll help you take that next step. If you're curious about what baptism even is, we'd love to talk with you about that. Again, you can make that note on the next steps card. Place it in the metal uh, boxes that are mounted on the walls as you leave uh, after the service, or take it to direct and connect. Now, uh, we, I hear oftentimes that you don't talk about Uh, uh, sex, money, and politics in polite company. And I agree, we shouldn't talk about those things in polite company. But as a church, one of the things that we're committed to is not being polite company. Jesus is who he says he is. He's the king and creator of the cosmos who has risen from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. He turns to every single person and says, turn from yourself and follow me. And following Jesus radically transforms everything, including our sex, our money, and our politics, and everything else. And for those of us that are Jesus followers, I want to encourage you. uh, Well, this actually isn't going to sound encouraging, but I think it is. Uh, There is no chasm of our heart, and there is no square inch in the cosmos that Jesus does not claim dominion over, including our political preferences and commitments. And if we as a people are unwilling to have this conversation, then what are we doing? I mean, if Jesus is just a good teacher and he kind of seasons some of our political prejudices or commitments, then this is a complete waste of time. But if Jesus is the king, then we need to lay every commitment bare before him and say, Jesus, shape everything about me. To follow Jesus. Hey, Peggy, how are you doing? Good to see you. Love you too, sweetheart. Following Jesus is saying, Jesus, everything about me is under your dominion, and I submit it to you. That includes my politics. And so this is going to be tough for many of us today. Um, 
try being me. Like, this is really miserable for me. And here, I just want to, if you're the praying type, please pray for me. I have a lot of opinions as it relates to politics, and it is really, really difficult to do the work to make sure that that's not what's coming through here, but rather that the word of God is speaking through me. And so if anything I say today is not of God, let's forget it. Um, But just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not from God. There are um, political commitments that we all hold. And politics is simply, by the way, there's some of us who say, well, I'm not political, and I, I think I understand what you mean. I think for many of us, we say, I don't like being political, or I'm not political. I think what we mean is, I'm not partisan, or I'm disgusted by the partisanship that's happening in our nation. But I, I don't think it's wise for us to say, we're not political, and, and here's why. Politics is simply what we call managing our common life together. Politics is simply the word that we use to talk about how it is we go about managing our common life together. I'll put it to you this way. Imagine that you're, on a sm- in a, you're in a very small country of five households, right? Itty bitty little country of five households. And the only way in and out to all of your households, you kind of live in this, you know, maybe 100 acres, a 100 acre country, and everyone's got their property. Some of the properties are bigger, some are smaller, but the only way to get to your property is a dirt road. And the families of this, you know, small nation all get together and say, you know what would be better than a dirt road? Is if we could pave the road. And everyone says, everything after that is a political conversation. How are we going to fund it? Who's going to you know, run the paving machine? How, are we, how wide is the road going to be? Does it have to be at a certain slope to let the water drain off? What about traffic? Do we need a traffic light? All of that is politics. Politics is simply what we call managing our common life together. And 99.9% of politics in almost every uh, nation is boring stuff like that that's super important, but it doesn't make headline news. And so I want us to be careful. When we say, I'm not political, we may accidentally be be communicating this, I don't care about you. To say I'm not political is to say, I don't care about managing our common life together. You just fend for yourself. And for those of us that are in positions of power and authority, it's easy to say, I'm not political. For those of us who are being abused and marginalized, we can't help but be political. So I want us to just be careful, right? When we say, I'm not political, I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm not partisan or I'm disgusted with the state of affairs right now. I think, that, I think that's okay to express yourself that way. But to say, I'm not political, it may be accidentally miscommunicating, uh, I actually don't care about our common life together. I just care about me and mine. And I don't think as a Jesus follower that's a wise approach. So my goal today is not to um, convert your politics or your political preferences. My goal today is to simply talk about how those of us that follow after Jesus, how are we to posture ourselves in relation to politics? How are we to posture ourselves as, as in relation to politics? So we're, we're going to do this like for real life. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In the back of the seat in front of you is a prayer card. Would you please pull out one of those blank prayer cards? You should see it. Sometimes they're clipped. Even if you have no intention of filling it out, please just grab one so nobody's singled out. Grab that prayer card, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a huge step of faith. I'm going to ask that you would write out your top three political commitments. You're not going to show them to anybody. You're not going to reveal them to me. You're not going to turn them in. This is just for you to keep. And just three political commitments that you hold that are important to you 
Three political commitments. Would you just write those out? So this could be something like, you know, economic prosperity. This could be something like abortion. This could be something like uh, marriage. This could be something like sex and sexuality. This could be something like medic, uh, medical coverage. What are your top three political commitments? And it's, uh, it's just for you. It's, this is only for you and Jesus. But what we want to do as a people is, I, I, th- I, I, just, I write down your top three political commitments. Could be immigration, could be gun control, whatever, whatever it is. What are your top three political commitments? And we're not going to share them with anybody. Maybe you post them online. That's your prerogative. But I just, if this doesn't matter in real life, then it doesn't matter at all. And so we're going to try to apply this to real life. Now, uh, there are many of us who have the, uh, we align ourselves with the Republican Party. Many of us here align ourselves with the Democratic Party. Uh, there are many of us here who align ourselves with the Libertarian Party. Uh, there, I don't actually know any Green Party members, but if you're here in our congregation, I'm so glad you're here. If you want to give me a wink and a nod, let me know. That way I can say, and Green Party members, I just don't know. I just don't know any in our congregation. Um, my goal is not to convert Republicans to Democrats or Democrats to Republican and so on. My goal is to help us see how Jesus calls us to posture ourselves in this political conversation and then to encourage you to be the best Republican you can be, to be the best Democrat that you can be, to be the best Libertarian that you can be, and so on. All right? So if you're all clinched up like Campbell's going to give me a lecture on why I should convert my politics, if it sounds like that, that's not my intent. Um, But, you know, you should probably just agree with me all the time and our lives would be so much better. So... How do we posture ourselves in, in this conversation around uh, politics? So um, our common life together, real quick. Have you ever heard the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself? Okay. Um, this is one of the most infamous teachings of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to view the political landscape as one of the primary ways that we put to practice loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's one of the key areas when we're managing our common life together It is one of the key arenas that a follower of Jesus puts into practice the commands of Jesus, namely, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if you'll remember, some of us may be familiar with Jesus' teaching that goes like this, and love your enemies. So regardless of if you view uh, the people who are in your your country as uh, allies and friends and neighbors or as enemies, either way, Jesus calls us to love them as ourselves. Politics is one of the key arenas that we put into practice the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. And boy, is it so frustrating and difficult. Amen? Well, maybe you all got it all figured out. You should be doing this sermon. I tell you, I can't figure this out to save my life. All right, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter uh, 12. Mark chapter 12 and 13 is some of the most politically charged uh, portions of the Gospels. And so in Mark chapter 12, there's this, oh, oh, excuse me. Was I already up there? Mark chapter 12. I want you just to hear. So Jesus is approached by a teacher who's asking about what is the most important thing? What's the most important command? How do I get in line? You know, how how am I living in line uh, with the kingdom of God? Stuff like that. And Jesus says there's one God, and the command is to love God, love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are far more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when uh, this leader had said this, Jesus saw that he answered. So this is the teacher repeating back to Jesus, these are the most important commands. This is what Jesus says. Jesus saw that he answered him wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of, 
So this tells us that one of the key markers of a citizen of the kingdom of God is one command that's twofold. The one command is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's oftentimes by Jesus. It sounds to us like two commands, but in Jesus and in many of those who follow him that wrote much of the New Testament, they tether these things together. How you show, or if you want to know, does this person love God, look at how they love their neighbor. Even in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, right? As we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Throughout Scripture, throughout Jesus' teaching, he tethers love of God with love of neighbor. You want to know how someone loves God? Look at how they love their neighbor. And so Jesus here says, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it's people who love God and love their neighbor. That's it. That's the summation of the law of God. So what, how does this shape our posture? Well, we are political animals. Regardless of if we like it or not, we are political animals. So what political animal are you? Now, there's the common approach to political animals, and that's this, the uh, elephant and the donkey. You guys ever seen these images before? Yes, the one on... Uh, on uh, this side is the uh, Republican Party, and the other is uh, the Democratic Party. I don't know if the Libertarians have one, knowing their ideology. I don't think they like logos. So um, uh, you've got these two animals, right? And we're currently in a cultural moment that is screaming at us, either be a donkey or be an elephant. The way that you're going to posture yourself towards your community is first and foremost primarily as an elephant or as a donkey, as a Republican or a Democrat. If you listen to the rhetoric that's going on right now in, in this particular nation, we are identifying, we are using a political uh, um, platform to give a human their identity. It's those Republicans or those Democrats, or you might even say, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. And I want, you, I want you just to hear, is that who you are? According to Jesus, no. First and foremost, you're a child, who is made, you're a child of God who's made in the image and likeness of God. And second... You are a citizen of the kingdom of God first with, with possible political preferences regardless of which nation you're in. Every single Jesus follower has dual citizenship. They're a citizen of the kingdom of God first and a citizen of whatever kingdom they're in right now second. When we get those out of order, death and destruction reign. Every Jesus follower has an opportunity to participate in politics or to participate in our common, managing our common life together. If you are a Jesus follower in North Korea right now, your capacities for political engagement are pretty thin. But that may change. But for those of us who are uh, uh, maybe citizens of a democratic republic, as a, for instance, like America, our capacities for political uh, expression and engagement are massive. In fact, the idea of a democratic republic is based on the citizenry being engaged in the process. It's one of the key places that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. But I want to posit that we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves if we primarily identify ourselves as one of these two animals. Because if we primarily identify, now follow me here, if we primarily identify ourselves as one of these two animals, we will be viewed as a tool by one and an enemy by the other. If we primarily identify ourselves as one of these two animals, we, would be, we will be viewed as a tool by one and an enemy of the other. Do, don't, I mean, have you guys been paying attention to what's been going on in the last three and a half years? 
how people are talking about other image bearers of God's image, it's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, since the beginning, actually, since 1776. I mean, I've been reading, yeah, okay, anyways, we should talk about that later. Okay, two more animals. There is also um, two other animals, and it looks like this. The ostrich or the giraffe. The ostrich says, I don't, I'm, I'm scared of this, I'm sickened by this, and so I'm going to duck and cover. I'm not going to engage. I don't want to be engaged. And again, I just want to encourage you. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to say this is so confusing. I don't quite know how I fit in. But to, to, to say, because I don't like it, I'm not going to be engaged in managing our common life together may not be the best way to love your neighbor as yourself. Fourth, there's the giraffe. The, gir- the giraffe, I couldn't find one, but the giraffe has a monocle. And he's high above all the other animals. And the giraffe says, you know, politics, politics, all of these people are the same, and, you know, both sides and all that business. And they sit loftily up in their high tower, looking down on everyone else and saying, oh, <laughs> pish posh, uh, but never actually getting engaged in managing our common life together. Now, uh, I actually thought of a fifth way, and if I had a political party, this would be uh, my logo. I just think absolute, (laughs) right? Tyrannosaurus Rex, tyrannical king, I would love to be that also. Um, The right to bear short arms, you know, it's, 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 that would be my key platform, thank you. And, uh, uh, right? Are any of these animals, are any of these postures in line with Jesus' teaching completely? The answer is thank you, no. Glad you said that. This is going to make the next part so much easier. To love him with all your heart, your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. How did Jesus, I just want you to think through, okay, what kind of a political animal are we going to be? How did Jesus show his love for us? What is the one image, the most vivid image, the, the, like the quintessential Christian image of Jesus' love for us? How did he love his neighbor and his enemies even like us? What's the one image? Oh, good. Oh, you guys got it. Good. It's the cross. Even on the cross, Jesus looks and says, Father, forgive them. He's crucified at the hands of his enemies that he died for. The central central image of God's love for us is a cross. And Jesus tells his disciples to take up your cross and follow me. What should our posture be? as it relates to politics, as we manage this common life together, I would submit to you that it is the same posture that Jesus took when he used his power to show his love. It's the image of a lamb. John the Baptist, uh, who's one of the early uh, followers of Jesus, when he sees Jesus walking at him, he says, not behold the king, not behold the prince, not behold the overlord. He says, behold the lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Now, that Lamb of God image, it's kind of confusing to many of us, and I know that this story is weird, so bear with me. Jesus and Jesus' people, they, they had uh, as one of their uh, festivals, a festival holiday, religious holiday called Passover. I know this is a little weird, and I'd love to uh, talk with you more about it, but the basic premise of Passover was is that death was coming to town, and in order for uh, you to avoid that death, you would take an innocent lamb, and you would kill the innocent lamb, you would take that innocent lamb's blood and you would put it over your doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over. And it's this image of an innocent life being sacrificed to spare the life of the guilty. You with me? 
Jesus on the cross is an innocent life slain. His rights, his preferences, his power given up as a servant and as a paschal lamb or a Passover lamb. When Jesus was celebrating the Last Supper, he was celebrating Passover. And the lamb, uh, we call it today, maybe not in some traditions, but in most traditions, it's called the paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, the lamb who who used its power and gave up its power so that others may live. And that's the posture that Jesus adopts. You can look it up in Philippians 2, has this great line about it. But throughout Scripture, you see that Jesus' posture is that of a paschal lamb, laying down his life for the sake of others. And he calls all of his disciples to also adopt that same posture. Not power grabs, not pride and arrogance, not prejudice, but a paschal posture. So as you think about your three commitments, what is your posture towards them? Is it as an elephant or a donkey? perhaps an ostrich or a giraffe, I would submit to you that Jesus calls, our first, calls us to first identify as citizens of his kingdom, and citizens of his kingdom love their neighbor as their self, and what posture does that look like? It looks like that of a lamb. Second, and this is strange for many of us who, who grew up maybe in, 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 in just, just hang out with me here for a minute. For many of us who have grown up in Uh, church families that have not had to suffer at the hands of government, this may feel weird. But there is a call to Jesus followers to be prophetic, to have a prophetic posture. Now, I know that that sounds weird. Many people think prophetic. What does that mean? Does that mean like telling fortunes? No. In fact, much of Scripture, when you read prophetic words, when you, meet, when you read uh, people who are standing up and giving prophetic witness or prophetic voice, it sounds not like, oh, the future holds. It sounds like this. You, person in power, are abusing your power. You're being immoral. You are living contrary to God's design. And if you continue down this path, God will take you off of that throne and your people just if you, if you want to read anything like that, just read your Old Testament. You will see in almost every king's life a prophet or prophetic voice speaking against that king's evil behavior, not necessarily against the king. Now, now I need everyone to pump the brakes. Everyone say pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. I need you to track with me here. Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, this slavery is wrong. Esther going to Xerxes and saying, do not do this evil deed that you are committed to doing by killing all of my people. Nathan going to King David, who's literally called the Lord's anointed, are images of what it looks like to use a prophetic voice to speak truth to power and say, you might be the Lord's anointed. That's great. And I'm praying for you. But this evil, this cannot stand. And that is in systems, that is in uh, uh, writ large things like uh, unjust wars and violence, and it's also their personal moral character. Nathan was sent by God to call out David for doing murder and power rape. And Nathan was not criticized and said, how dare you criticize the Lord's anointed. Whoever the leader is, 
If they're using their power in ungodly ways or their moral character is not in line with what God teaches and what Jesus calls us to, I believe it is the prophetic witness of the church that either speaks to it or co-signs it. And when a local church or the church writ large, follow me now, when we are unable to, with Christ-centered power, critique the evils that we see in the parties that we prefer, we have been seduced by the kings of this world and the powers of this age, and we simply co-sign Jesus' name onto their evil. Every church that exists exists in the context of a kingdom of this world. And that kingdom of this world, no matter how much they use Jesus' name, no matter how much it's in align with the truth of the gospel, it is not the kingdom of God. And therefore, the things that people's hands created are worthy of our criticism and calling out, especially when it hurts the marginalized, especially when it propagates evil. And if the church is neutered in this because we want to give ourselves over to one political party or the other, what are we doing? The church is called to bear witness to the kingdom of God come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus cares about leaders abusing systems, and Jesus cares about leaders abusing people one-on-one, and Jesus cares about the heart of a leader, and Jesus cares about how his church bears witness to the truth of the gospel. Friends, if we are completely incapacitated to call out and criticize evil when we see it because we're afraid of being excommunicated from a political party that we prefer, we have given our allegiance to a party and not a king. And so our posture must not only be a pastoral posture, but also a prophetic one. Jesus shows us this in Mark chapter 12. Check this out. Pharisees and Herodians, were, they were religious and political parties. We can't understand that for many of us because... In America, we have separation of church and state. In the day of Jesus, that that separation did not exist. I mean, you worshiped the emperor. The Herodians and the Pharisees were religious and political. And watch what they try to do. Oh, I love this. This is so good. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians, so these are two different uh, political and religious parties, to Jesus to do what? Trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and don't care about what anyone thinks. Nor do you show what's the word. TV time out. They're going to ask him a question to show which political party he's partial to. This is a setup job. We know that you don't show partiality, but you teach the way of God. TV time out. Sidebar, we would love it if the way of God aligned with our political party. Do you see the question they're asking here? By the way, do you think that political parties want Jesus on their team? Oh, they really do. Just listen to the rhetoric over the last 2,000 years of Western uh, kings and presidents and how often they will use the words God or Jesus. In fact, we're currently in a cultural moment where the, uh, the elephants and the donkeys are using the same verses, of course out of context, to justify the fact that they're in line with the way of God. Don't be fooled. Teach the way of God. Truthfully, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Do you see how this is about money and power? Do you see how this is about allegiance? So the Herodians want us to pay taxes. The Pharisees are in rebellion against Rome. This is a political question. By the way, I want you to see real carefully what happens next. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their 
hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius and look at it. They brought him a coin. Whose image and inscription is on this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. TV timeout. If you take away from this is pay your taxes, you're not reading it carefully. And I want to show you why. If the takeaway was pay your taxes, which, by the way, I think Christians should, but not because of this text. I think it's the right thing to do. It's about integrity. It's about obeying the law of the land. I think you should pay your taxes. And I don't think you should cheat on your taxes either. Jesus doesn't either, by the way. If the answer is simply pay your taxes, the Herodians would go away singing and the Pharisees would be mad. Because that's what the Herodians want him to do is say, pay your taxes, right? Our party is the one that Jesus, whose side Jesus is on. But watch what Jesus does. He says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And what was their response? Neither of them walked away saying, he's on our team. But they walked away utterly amazed. Why did they walk away utterly amazed? Because they knew Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In Genesis 1 and 2 especially, it says this, something like this. In the, begin, in the beginning, God made people in the image and likeness of God, he created them. Now, go back. Uh, where does he say about the uh, lawful to pay taxes? Oh, yeah, it's right here. Whose image and likeness are on the coin? Caesar's, right? And then he says, great. Then whatever is Caesar's, whatever bears Caesar's image, give back to Caesar. But whatever bears God's image, give that thing to God. Now, what bears God's image? Everything. <laughs> and the, the, the really subversive thing is, who do you think made that coin? People. And who does Caesar belong to? God. Which means the coin at the end of the day is God's, just like Caesar is God's, just like you and I are God's. Who bears the image of God? People do. So give to God the things that are God. And that's why they walked away utterly amazed, because Jesus is saying here, I don't fit in your handmade, man-made categories. I don't fit your broken systems. I came to establish the kingdom of God in its fullness, and that kingdom transcends all other parties. And at the end of the day, it's a king and not a president that we place our hope in. It's a king and not a Caesar. By the way, I told you guys it was going to be fun. Okay, <laughs> to say the phrase, Jesus is Lord, is the most politically subversive statement that anyone can make. Because if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. That's why they killed many of the earliest followers of Jesus, because they refused to declare their ultimate allegiance to a political party or ruler. They said, Jesus is my king. How about you? We are called to be political, but not partisan. I want to just, uh, cards on the table here. This last three and a half years has been really tough for me personally. I know it's been really hard for many of you, harder than I've had it. One of the most difficult and surprisingly frustrating things for me is, I, I stepped into this position in 2015, I had no idea things were gonna be like this. I would've let my predecessor, Rick, take another five years, lap around the, I mean, I didn't want any of this. And one of the things that has just broken my heart has been the amount of times that people have decided to break fellowship because they felt like we were we, that we weren't on their preferred team or that I wasn't on their preferred team. We are on team Jesus first and foremost, friends. I just, I, I want to plead with you. I have, I have, I'm engaged in the political process. I have strong opinions. 
And I would love to talk with you about them, but that's not my pastoral duty. My pastoral responsibility is to point us to Jesus, and I got to do that myself first too. But there are many of us who are right now wrestling with, where does my primary allegiance lie? And I must say that we're currently in a moment where the church in America is hemorrhaging young people, and they're not leaving because they believe that evangelical churches like this are super devoted to the Word of God and living out, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not why they're leaving. They're leaving because they don't see a prophetic witness and a public living out and proclamation against evil regardless of party. They're leaving. There's a mass exodus of young people who say, you're just a puppet. I want to, like I haven't already, let's do brass tacks. I, oh. I believe, and I am really trying to make sure that everyone I come into contact with and everyone who hears my voice knows first and foremost, that I am a subject of the king and creator of the universe. I want them to know that a thousand times more than I want them to know who my presidential preference is. If I'm going to use a word, I want that word to be Jesus is king. I don't want to lead with, here's my political preference. Because at the end of the day, frankly, that brings no one hope. It's not that we don't share political preferences. I think we have to have real hard conversations about this stuff. you got to hear me on this. But in our public witness in this community and around the world, Jesus followers, are you more concerned that people know that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God than you are that they know your political preference? We need to be red hot Citizens of the kingdom of God and lukewarm Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians. But we are in a cultural moment where there are thousands of outlets that are fanning the flames of fear and division, trying to ignite within us a passion that simply is a commitment to the kingdoms of this world. Oh, that we might be as passionate about proclaiming the kingdom of God as we are our political preferences. Spirit of the living God, would you come and do a new work in us? A pastoral posture, the posture of a lamb, a prophetic posture where we speak on behalf of those who especially have no voice, just like Moses, Nathan, Esther, and John the Baptist have done before us. May we be a people who can critique evil no matter where we see it, even if it's in our own preferences. And then finally, we are a pouring people. Our posture should be that of a lamb, a pastoral posture. And it should be a prophetic posture where we speak, especially against evil, no matter where we find it. And then finally, a pouring, pouring posture. I want you to know that every single one of us is pouring something out of our lives. We're all walking around to everyone we meet and engage with, and we're pouring something out. And we're either pouring out fear or we're pouring out love. What are you pouring out? as it relates to your political commitments. I want you to see just real quick, first, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay, tell me if you think this is applicable. <laughs> God has not given us a spirit of fear. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, I don't think you should watch news entertainment. I think you should be real careful about what you're feeding yourself. 
There are many of us who are being discipled 140 hours a week by Rush Limbaugh or CNN and Jesus 30 minutes every other week if we're lucky. So I, I want to just encourage you, be real careful about who you're feeding yourself. Who, 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 who are you allowing into your space? But when you're hearing something that sounds like fear-mongering, I want you to remember 2 Timothy 1.7 and just say these words out loud. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I don't need to be afraid of the other. I don't need to be afraid about what's going to come next. I don't need to be afraid of the economy. I don't need to be afraid of coronavirus. I don't need to be afraid of the other parties. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. What kind of spirit has God given us? Power, love, and Lord help us. <laughs> Sound judgment. 2 Timothy 1.7, I want you to think about your three commitments. Is your posture that of a lamb? What are we willing to give up to see this happen? Is your posture that of a prophetic voice saying, I, I, there's places where this really hurts people and I need to speak against that. When, when this issue hurts people, I need to use my voice. And then finally, what are you pouring out? When you engage with these commitments, are you pouring out fear? Your dinner table conversations, your Facebook posts, your bumper stickers, the things that you cheer and root others on when they say it out loud, are you pouring out fear or are you pouring out love? How do we love our neighbors as we manage our common lives together? May we be a people who are constantly pointing to Jesus empowered by his spirit, living and working through us, that we might give up of ourselves for the benefit of others, that we might be a people who's, who the name of Jesus is always on our lips, and that they might know, this dead and dying world might know who our king is well before they know who our presidential preference is. May we be that kind of a people because it's only through the power of Jesus Christ that this world will be transformed, and it is only in his kingdom that we find our hope and hope abundant and eternal. Jesus loves you so much. He has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound judgment.